almost inclined to change my lesson to the shelter in the time of the storm. It's uh, coming down pretty hard out there. If I see any cows fly by, I'll make sure and let everybody know. I don't think we're in, in jeopardy of that right now. You know, there's a handful of people here this morning that know something that most of us don't. And when I thought about that just a minute ago, just a few minutes ago, I thought about that, that uh, this lesson may, uh, may actually uh, strike up some older memories for them. There's a few people in the audience that were born before 1938. Many of you may not know what that is. 1938 was the year that Franklin Delano Roosevelt decided that he would put into standards what was called a fair and uh, practical labor and wage standard called minimum wage. Now before that time, I'm not sure exactly what all had transpired, but it actually, the minimum wage standard kind of goes back a few years even further than that. It goes back into the early 1900s in other countries. And it was being practiced somewhat in some of the, some of the states around our, our uh, union of the United States even before then. But it was put fully into place, made a law in 1938 by FDR. I don't know what that was like before then. Some of you do. Not many. But I understand that, uh, that it might have been around a quarter <laughs> was what the minimum wage was, or I know some people worked for a quarter. I remember when I was actually 15 years old, so I was kind of violating the labor laws anyway at that time, but I was 15 years old working, working about 25, 30 hours a week, making $3.35 an hour. Now some of you in the audience are going to say, man, you're old. <laughs> some of you are going to say, wow, you made that much <laughs> at minimum wage. But minimum wage, that was a law put into place, and the reason that, that it was put into place was because that, that the, the government at that time determined, they felt like, that, that everybody needed to live at least at a minimum standard. Now, minimum wage since that time, since I was 16 years old, has more than doubled. But yet, today's minimum wage standards... If somebody was living on minimum wage, even a two-income two providing family, they would still be considered, I believe, in poverty. That's an interesting thought there, isn't it? The whole purpose that it was put into place has been kind of overshadowed these days. But it was to improve the quality of living, living for laborers and equalizing the workforce a bit. Now, no matter what your stance is on that, whether you think it's a good idea or not, I think that you know we would we'd probably divide the church on, on that, whether or not it was a good idea to raise minimum wage or, or if minimum wage is acceptable or what have you. I know being an employer for many, many years, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen what minimum wage is about, and I've also seen what the quality of lifestyle can be about on minimum wage. Today we're going to talk about the minimum wage Christianity that we can see sometimes. So you might ask, what does this have to do with Christianity? And I'm going to bring up two major points today. One is the simple fact of what, uh, <clears throat> what are the wages of Christianity and are they fair to all? That's what you got to look at there when you think about that. Well, you know, when FDR put this into place, he felt it was fair to everybody. He felt it was fair to the employers that were employing people. Now, they probably disagreed. I'm going to say they probably most of them disagreed and said that you can't tell me how I'm going to pay people. <laughs> but the employees thought it was probably fair because, most of them, because maybe they weren't getting the standard wages. Maybe they weren't being treated as they should have been. But they thought that it was fair probably. Now we move forward 
over almost uh, 80 years now, 75 at least. And we look at that and we see that example given to us and we look out there in the world today and what are people doing? We need more money. We're not being paid fairly. We want the minimum wage raised. You know what? I don't, I don't know what each of you make in here that work. I don't have a clue. But I almost garner that it would be more than minimum wage. I don't, I don't know that many people still make a minimum wage. Now, that being said, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working or paying a minimum wage if that's what you do. But how are we going to look at that in the wages of Christianity? How are we going to look at that and say, is that fair to me? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Probably a familiar parable. My lesson didn't start out going in this direction, but I found it very fitting that we talk about this. Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Brother Brian presented this on a Wednesday night study, I believe it was, several months back, and did a really good job of it. And I had earmarked it in my Bible. I have a lot of little tabs that marked in my Bible. And sometimes I just kind of put them in line in the text, and I had earmarked it the night he... He taught it, I turned to it, I thought, oh, he done stole my thunder. <laughs> but that's okay, we're going to teach it because it's the Word of God. And I think we need to, need to concentrate and focus on the Word of God and the whole counsel of God must be taught. Matthew chapter 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did it likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I want to talk about some things, some characteristics of this story. This was a time in my studies, I understand, that, that this was the busiest season of the year, if you will, for the harvest. This was the time in which the farmer needed as much help as he could possibly get. And he had to find a way to get that help. We would call it today day laborers. We'd call it today going down on the street corner and finding somebody standing out. Now, in some areas, that's a very heavily practiced concept. Not necessarily legal in some areas, but it's, it's a concept that works. Somebody is needing to make a day's pay. And a man that has work needs a, a day's work done. It's an easy concept. You drive down to the corner and you find somebody that's willing to work and if you, you, you wager with them and you, you, you make sure that they're understanding what, they, what you want of them and what they're going to get paid for. I also find it interesting too in this story that he doesn't go out and he said, you know, he doesn't say, well, you're going to work for 12 hours today or six hours or whatever it may be, and you're going to do this, 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 and this. He just went out and said, I want to hire you. And they agreed upon what they were going to be paid. And he sent them out to work. So that, that concept of a day laborer is being shown here. But we all know that, that you're not going to necessarily always get the best laborer when you do something like that the first time around anyway. But you know that he took them and, and they got to work. And about the third hour of the day would have been translated into about nine o'clock in the morning. Decent time to start working. Now when he uh, when he got these people at the um, 
And when he went out early, it doesn't say what time it was, but when he went out in the third hour of the day and picked up these other people, obviously all the work wasn't getting done as quickly as he needed it done. And so he picked up these other people, and these, these other folks had already been working. Let's just say they're working three hours. So if they, they start at six, when what would be considered the first of the day in the dawn of the day, then these folks have been working for three hours already. And he tells them, he says, you go in the vineyard, and whatever's right, I will give you. All right? Then he goes back about the sixth hour, which has been lunchtime for us, 12 o'clock, and the ninth hour did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. You see, he keeps going back and he finds these people and brings them in to work. He's got to get his job done. He's got to get the fields harvested. He's got to go out and, and get these people that are going to do what he needs done. Now pick back up in verse number 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the, the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. And I will stop there for just a second. That attitude encompasses our world today. It's the attitude of you're not treating me fairly. You know what? If I go out and I work eight hours, I expect eight hours worth of pay. You do too. There's nothing wrong with that. There's an expectation that we can understand. If I work one hour of the day, I'm going to expect one hour's worth of pay. That's not the way this man set this up. Go back and, and read it again if you need to. He set it up agreeing to them that he would pay this much money. Now, for the one that had worked there for 11 hours, their minimum wage wasn't exactly what it should have been, was it? Because if you think about it, and, and the value of a denarius is, uh, and there's a little story on the back of a little final word this, this week about the denarius, but the denarius wasn't worth a whole lot. But as they sat there and they were paid what they thought that they uh, were going to, what they knew that they were going to get, but they thought it wasn't fair, they sit here and they argue with this guy. He answered one of them in verse 13 and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first. And the first and last, for many are called, but few chosen. You know, I have to wonder, the story doesn't really tell us how many workers were out there in the, in the first place. But when Jesus tells this story, he talks about this man who has every right to go out and pick and choose who he wants to do his labors. He has every responsibility to, to his harvest, to, to, to reap the things that, that he has sown already, he has every opportunity to do what he wants. It's his. He owns it. It's his vineyard. Now, obviously we know that everything is the Lord's, but, but this man was the steward of this vineyard. It was his. He had the opportunity to do that. But these folks are very upset about it. They're upset because they thought they were treated unfairly. 
Well, there again, like I said, I mean, this isn't a, a, about a legal discussion about minimum wage, whether it's fair or not, what it should be or what it should not be. But if you take the math and you do the, the, the dividing out, and, and you look and you see that somebody that works a 40-hour week, if they get paid the same as somebody that works a 10-hour week, phew, boy, there's a big wage difference. I think you can see that. When we look at the minimum wage, if you will, of Christianity, we have to understand it's not about how many hours we work. It's not about is somebody else's reward better than mine. And we're going to look at that a little bit further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says there in the, in the letter to the Corinthians, starting in verse 7, He says, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out a grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt that it is written that he who plows shall plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Now the reason I want to read that to you is because as a worker, we have an expectation. Now if that wasn't true, then why would any of us want to go out and, and if those that work in the secular job in the world on Monday morning, used to it was Monday through Friday, you know, eight hour a day, but you know, it's, it's more, of a, more of a whenever you can find work nowadays. But why would we want to go out on Monday morning and start a job and work all day long without any expectation. Why would we do that? I don't think I could get many volunteers to do that. If I came up tomorrow and, uh, and I knocked on your door and I said, hey, I need you to come work, one of the things you're going to ask is, well, what am I going to be doing? And the next thing probably is, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> and then you may decide whether or not you want to come work. Interesting thought. But as Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 9, we can expect a, a wage for our labor. Now my second thought is going to kind of interrupt this thought process. My second point is, if you would, while you're still in Matthew, turn to chapter 25. I'd be amiss not to talk about the parable of the talents while I'm talking about wages. <laughs> and this point I have uh, put in my notes, are you earning your wages? Now think about that. These men were hired. In Matthew chapter 20. They were hired to do a certain job. They were hired to go out at a certain time of the day. But we never hear about whether or not they did a good job. We just hear about that they did their work and they were paid. Now look at uh, the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went out on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. And for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus taught in parables for reasons. One of the main reasons was because folks couldn't quite understand what he was teaching. He said that he was going to teach that way so that they would. He kind of put a, a real life story with a heavenly meaning into it. Now these people with the talents, they weren't earning their wages. Or at least the one with the one talent wasn't. The one with the five showed he was doing fruitful works. The one with the two talents showed that he was doing fruitful works. But the man with one talent says he wasn't accepted. Said he didn't do the things that, that, that the, the master wanted him to do. And when you think about that, that's a, tough, uh, that's a tough subject to talk about. Because we don't know necessarily what God wants us to do with all of our talents. We don't necessarily sometimes know what our talent is. You know, some might, some might say that my talent is teaching and preaching. Others might say that there's a whole lot better people out there to do it. I'd probably agree. <laughs> there probably are a whole lot better people out there to do it. But you know what? I'm going to say this. Six years ago, I was sitting where you're sitting. Actually, less than six years ago. I was sitting just where you're sitting. Our talents are given to us by God, and we're to do something with them. When you think about are you earning your wages, that's what you have to think about. Now, one of my favorite passages is Galatians 6. In verse 6 it says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, Paul's given us a challenge there that we're not to grow weary in our work. We're not to grow weary and go, you know what, it's almost quitting time. It's almost time for me to go and get my denarius. And then later on, as we saw in Matthew chapter 20, they try to figure out, well, how much did I make per hour? Think about that. You know, where's this hourly concept of, of making, making money for an hour? It's not there. I remember going back and uh, my, my dad lived on a farm about 50 acres, I believe it was, over in Nat Hill. Some of you know where that's at. It's, if you don't know where Nat Hill is, it's real close to Hoodoo, right over by Fudge Around. So look it up on a map. It's there. <laughs> but uh, Nat Hill is a, a small, very, very small community. And I went back one day. My dad's dad was killed in an accident when he was four years old, so I never got to meet him. 
my dad didn't really spend any time with him either. But I, when I was working in, in Coffee County, I decided one day, I said, you know what, I want to go down and I want to see what the deed of that land is because it was on a what, what, an interesting concept. It's called a generation gap will. Whereas my grandmother could live on that land as long as she lived. It couldn't be sold. It couldn't be transferred. It couldn't be anything. And then when she died, it became the children's. And then they had to decide what to do with it. Pretty interesting concept there. So I wanted to see, as my, my grandmother's health was failing, I just wanted to see how that was written. I thought it was neat. And I went and I looked up the deed. The deed was quite something. I, I wish I'd have gotten a copy of it. I guess I can go back and get one. But the deed was quite something. That 50-some-odd acres of land was my grandfather's pay for a month. The value of it was less than $1,000. That was good money then. That was back in the late 30s, I believe it was, about the time of minimum wage. That was good pay then, but he had to work for an entire month for that land. He didn't get any pay besides that. That's why it was written up that, that he was to work every single day and he got his reward at the end of that month. That's an interesting concept. Very interesting. But we're not to grow weary. What if my grandfather had grown weary the first day and said, you yeah, know, this just didn't worth it? He'd have walked away from it. What if it was the 30th day and he decided not to show up for work that day? He wouldn't have gotten it because that was the reward offered. You know, Matthew chapter 20 gives us a really, really good story. And as we think about that, <clears throat> we're going to have to come back and pick up some other verses. I want to get those in just a minute. But Paul reminds us, he says, do not grow weary in your work. And when I think about that, and I think about our, am I earning my wages? Am I earning what God has promised me as my reward? Now I know that we can't do anything in works to be saved, but remember James says, faith without works is dead. We have to do what God has commanded us. You look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus said, go, teach, making disciples, baptizing. I mean, that, that's action. That's verbs. Verbs mean go, do. You see? There are things that we have to do. But Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. <laughs> There's the wages. We're going to go back and pick those up in just a second again. But you know, we looked at also from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to go back and catch a couple more verses there real quickly for you. Paul said there in verses 16 through 18, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, in other words, Paul says, Yes, I know what my reward is going to be, but I also realize that I'm going to be penalized if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. You see, Paul said, I'm working regardless what I get paid. Wouldn't it have been great if the attitude of those in Matthew chapter 20 would be the same way? I'm working regardless of what the pay is. I know what the pay will be. But I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. And with that thought in 1 Corinthians, the question there is, are you doing all you can for the sake of the gospel like Paul is talking about? Or maybe just enough to try to earn the minimum wage. 
You know, we've talked a lot about context lately. And as I read through Matthew chapter 20, and I'm studying my notes, I think, you know, there's, there's some stuff hidden in here that I hadn't figured out yet. And that's true. You know, we have to continually study to figure out what God wants us to know. It's not hard to see. We just have to study. But you know, let's not miss it. Here's the context. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, the, young, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, said uh, what must I do, teacher, to, to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? And no one is good but one, that is God. He said to him, Keep the commandments. And rich young ruler said, which ones? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, well, all these things I've done, what do I like? And he told him, he said, you go and sell everything. I'm paraphrasing a few verses. but You go and you sell everything and you follow me. And what happened? The rich young ruler decided it wasn't worth it. At that point, I hope he came back and changed his mind later. But in verse 23 is really the end of our context, and that will be our conclusion. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. didn't say it was impossible. He said it was hard. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? You know, they're saying, Wait a minute, this guy, this, this rich young ruler said that he did all these things, and you're telling us we've got to do more? Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men, this is, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? You see, Peter went, What's my wage? Am I getting the minimum? Or what am I getting? And Jesus answered him and said, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So what do you expect your fair wages to be? If you were awarded based on the merits of your Christianity, and I'm not saying we can work and get any, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, please. I'm saying, are you worth what the kingdom of God has to offer? Are you doing what you need to be doing? God has promised us that eternal bliss. He's told us what we need to do. We have to obey Him. We have to keep His commandments. Part of that means that we need to become a Christian if we're not. That means hearing the Word of God, believing it, repenting of our sins, turning away from the old man, confessing Jesus as the Son of God, being baptized. But if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, you know, I just want to earn minimum wage. You might need to go back in the Bible and rethink that a little bit. Because we've all got work to do. And our reward is all going to be the same if we do our work. Why wait? Why not do it now? If you have any need, won't you come while together?